Project Taryag Day 75, Mitzvah Tav Ayn, and that is to check the Simana Ya'oif, the signs of kashas which apply to a bird. The Pasuk says, Kol Tzipur Tahir Techelu, you have to eat any kasha bird. What's a Tzipur? Then therefore we see from here a Mitzvah of finding what's a kasha bird, one can eat it. The Simanim of a kasha bird aren't given. In the Torah, Chazal did give various signs of kosher birds, which we spoke about previously in Bashashmini. The fact that it has a zefek, that it's curcumin, which is in the stomach, the outer skin can peel off. It's not, an, it's not a deris, it doesn't attack any other birds. And the way it splits its fingers when it stands. According to the Rambam, identifying the various kosher species, each one is a separate mitzvah. According to the Ramban, this is not a separate mitzvah, it just comes to give a mitzvah. Assay and the loyta assay to eating non kosher food. This mitzvah would apply at any time and place, both the men and the ladies. A mitzvah tough ayin aleph, and that is not to eat sheretz oif, which means a flying insect. The Pasuk says clearly, call sheretz oif, tamay ulachem lo yeyochelu. Any flying sheretz, any flying insect, is tamay to you, it's not allowed to be eaten, such as bees or flies, mosquitoes, or anything similar to that. When it comes to birds, the Torah clearly gives the names of the non-kosher birds because, like the Gemara says, they are a minority, whereas the kosher species are more than that, and therefore the Torah gives the shorter list. However, here, when it comes to the sherets of the oaf, which is a separate category, it's those things which fly but are really shot and not birds, the Torah makes a generality and asks all of them here. This Isra applies in every place in time, both to men and to ladies. If a person is over in this and he eats a kazais of one of these flying insects, or he eats the full insect, which is called the birri, the whole being, even if it's more than a kazais, then he's high of Malchus, like any loyta say which a person does with an activity. Mets with tough iron base, and that is not to eat the flesh of any animal which died on its own. It's called the Nevela, and the Pasuk says, Letechu kol Nevela. Don't eat any animal which died. What is one do with it? When it's the ger, she b'sorechot itneno, v'achola, o yimachola nachri. A person can either give it to a ger, which means uh, someone is allowed to live amongst the Jewish people, but isn't instructed to keep kosher, or he can sell it to a non-Jew. It doesn't just mean it died naturally. Any time when the shechitza wasn't performed correctly, then the animal is called a novella, and, and then it has, it has this din as well. The Gemara explains that the reason the Torah had delineates what to do with it, to give it to a ger, means that something which is still um, fit for human consumption, and therefore even though we can't eat it, we can give it to a non-Jew or to a ger, and they can. However, if it's spoiled or putrefied to the level where it's no longer fit to be eaten, then the Issa wouldn't apply either. And from this principle, we learn a general rule that the Torah only asks foods which are in a state where they're fit to be eaten. Whereas once something becomes pogrom, it becomes spoiled or ruined, the Torah doesn't forbid it to be eaten anymore. As an extension of this, if a non-kosher food would fall into a kosher food in a way where it doesn't enhance the mixture on the contrary, it renders it less edible, the example of the Gemara is if a person spills 
vinegar which is not kosher into hot beans so it doesn't improve it, it makes it worse then here also there wouldn't be an issue to eat it and as an extension of this the Gemara learns that it, even the taste gets absorbed into the walls and the sides of the, and the, of the pot that the food is in but after 24 hours that taste begins to spoil and therefore if a person would cook something in a pot which has, hasn't been used for 24 hours the non-kosher taste in the pot would be considered a time pogum and it wouldn't acid the food this is also the reason the Chinuch explains why when you want to do hagala, which means to take the flavor of Isra out of the pot it's, if it's the pot hasn't been used for the past 24 hours it's sufficient to put into boiling water and one doesn't need 60 times the size of the pot to make sure that any bodhiyas which emerge are bottled because anyway the taste which comes out after that amount of time is called pogum and it wouldn't be also. And that would be the case where we learn the principle that kalim need Haggadah before one can use them is from the spoils that the Jewish people brought back from Midian and they were told that they have to put any utensil used for heat into hot water. So if that's the case, it seems that we'd be talking about a case where other the taste which would come out of these kalim would be also. And if that's the case, we'd have to say it's talking about a case where they were still within 24 hours of being used and therefore the taste which would be sucked out of these kalim when they use a second time would be a beneficial or positive taste. And if that's the case, what we have to explain is the way that they were meant to do hagola is not just to put them in boiling water because if that's the case, the taste would be strong enough to make the water oser as well because the taste of the iser food will go into the water and render it oser. So the khilaq we have to explain that we're talking about they would do hagala in 60 times themselves in water because in the case like that the taste would be sucked out but it would become so thinly distributed in the water that it wouldn't be noticeable anymore and therefore everything would be allowed. The Khilaq also explains that why would this fall into the category of Baltashaktsu, just like something which is inedible? There would be a second issue to eat, not to do things which are considered disgusting, and therefore the taste, if it's no longer ready to be eaten, should be considered Baltashaktsu, says the Khilaq, it's not the case, because the person isn't eating specifically the taste, it's just the small amount of taste which, so to speak, leaches into the food. And that wouldn't, even though it doesn't improve the food, it wouldn't be considered something which people wouldn't do to eat food with an absorbed taste which is no longer fresh. With this or another din, and that is if an insect or some other creature which people are disgusted by falls into one's food, even if there isn't 60 times the insect in the food, if we manage to take the insect back out again, we'd be allowed to eat the rest of the food. We don't have to worry about the flavor of the insect which has infiltrated the pot because since it's something which is off-putting to people it definitely wouldn't add a benefit to the pot if anything it would make it less desirable similar to adding the flavor of an avela of rotten meat which even though the flavor might be there but definitely doesn't improve the food however the Chinook says we're still going to need at least a majority of kosher food to the non-kosher food one to two because otherwise we don't see a case where the non-kosher food is giving flavor to the kosher food 
Allah, as we see it, is being a non-kosher food in its own right. And when it comes to eating a sheret, the Torah forbade it, as we saw in the previous mitzvahs, even though it's something which would be off-putting to most people. Which means the Torah either forbids the sheret itself, but the Torah doesn't forbid something which was normally good to eat, but spoiled, such as a nevela, or the taste of something which is good to eat and has been in the pot for too long, which also renders that taste now, which means it's not as as good to eat as it was before. This is applies in every place in town, both men and ladies, and if a person is over in this and eats a kazais of a nevela, so they have malchus like every day Mitzvah tough ein gimel, and this is a mitzvah of Master Shani. Master Shani applies in the seven year Shemitah cycle in four of the years the first and the second, the fourth and the fifth. And the mitzvah is that once one's taken the trim which is given to the coin, and the mace which is given to the levy, then from the remaining amount one has to take another 10%, which means 10% of what's left, and separate that as Master Shani. And the loch is a person to carry to Yerushalayim and eat it there. However, if it's too far away and this food will spoil on the journey, or it's too big a quantity for him to carry, the Allah is he's allowed to redeem it for money and carry the money with him to Shalayim and then use the money there to buy food which is allowed to eat. The money can't be used for other things, that's be specifically for food or drink which he's going to enjoy in Shalayim. The Allah is that if a person wants to redeem his fruit for money and then use the money in his place in Yerushalayim a person who's doing it for himself has to add a chomish which means a quarter of its value which it began with or a fifth of the overall value of the Maishashani the reason for the mitzvah of Maishashani is already explained previously he repeats over here and that is a generator of Yerushalayim the fact that people are witness to Averis Bess and Mikdash they're witness to the amount of Torah being in Yerushalayim so that has an effect on them as well and therefore Hashem orchestrates that they will have to spend time in Shalim to finish the Maitre Shani and they'll be positively influenced from the atmosphere and from the Avodah Hashem that there was in Yerushalayim. The Arach is Maitre Shani to be separated from every year's crop on that year. One can't carry forth from one year to a different one. Maitre Shani works differently with different crops. Whether it's something which is picked and that's a cut of that for Maitre that depends on Rosh Hashanah. When it comes to fruit of the trees, which is applied to Maitre Shani, so then it depends when the trees begin to chanata, they begin to blossom, and therefore the cut of date for Maitre Shani is Tavishvat. Which means, any tree which was high in Maitre before Tavishvat gets the dinner of that year. So this is the year of Maitre Shani, it's high Maitre Shani, and this is the year of Maitre Oni, it's high Maitre Oni. And every tree which gets the status of the year after Tavishvat is already judged by the year which is still going to come. Just like by Maitre with the rice and the Maitre applies to wheat, oil and wine. And uh, the, other, the other species are only Achir Midrabon. The myth of Maitre only applies according to the Chinuch, when the whole of Israel is settled in their lands, and the Yerushalayim, which is the best means for us to bring it up to, to eat it there. And then it says, We should be zeicher that we get to see and experience this mitzvah with the rebuilding of Yerushalayim. 
and the continuation of this mitzvah is mitzvah tof ayin darud, and there is a separate mitzvah sheni, which means, in, and sorry, it's a separate mitzvah oni, which means in the remaining two years, which is the mitzvah sheni, we start of the seven-year cycle. The first, second, fourth, and fifth years are mitzvah sheni, which means the third and sixth years are mitzvah oni. Mitzvah oni is the same idea, and that is it's the second tithe after the mitzvah rishon has been taken. And it's the same percentage, the same amount as one takes when it comes to Maestro Shani. Just here, the money has to be given to the, the fruit, or the money has to be given to the Anim, so that they can eat it, they can use it wherever they want. Since the Pasuk says, They'll eat and be satisfied. Hazal learned from this that a person can't give an Ani too little, and you won't be satisfied. There's a minimum share of Maestro Ani that a person can distribute to each individual who comes to ask for it so that they'll have enough to be satisfied and Chazal gave the table of amounts he said, if he's talking about wheat he has to give a half a calf if he's talking about barley he has to give a whole calf if he's coming talking about kusmin which is also one of the five kinds of, of grain he has to give a calf and a half if he's talking about dvela which is pressed dates he has to give the weight of 25 said if he's talking about wine he has to give half a lug we're talking about oil, he has to give a quarter of a look. With regards to rice, he has to give a quarter of a calf. If we're talking about vegetables, he has to give the weight of a litre. If we're talking about charovim, which are carobs, he has to give three calf. And he has to give or ten nuts. Or five, a parasikim. Two pomegranates, or one ashrug. That's only enough that a person can be satisfied on. If he doesn't have that amount and there are lots of any knocking on his door, the law is he can put the food out and let them choose for themselves what they're going to take. The law is that really one should give maize ani already on, on the field when he's separated the wheat he wants to bring to his house, he's left to wait till later. Same thing, the ani is bukhuyif to say give it, he can't get a benefit back, so to speak, from the ani for giving maize, choosing him to give maize ani too. Another interesting halacha is that if a man and a lady who are both poor and are both knocking to ask for the Maisaoni, the lady gets precedence. The Gemara says it's not the nature of a lady to have to go around begging in such a setting, and therefore if it's a question of one person to give it to, he would give it to her. And that is the new Miss the Torah, and that is that when Shemitah comes, so at the end of the Shemitah, all the loans which people owe each other, so to speak, are undone. If that's the case, a person is not allowed to claim from his friend a debt which was from before Shemitah, if it's now after Shemitah. The says, You can no longer charge somebody for a debt they owe because once Shemitah has come, it renders it onerous and therefore he loses the right to collect his debts. Reason for the mitzvah? So, like the Chinuch explains, that it's part of the reasons for the mitzvah of Chinuch, of Shemitah, that reminds us that the Baruch was in charge. And if a person would claim back a debt after Shemitah, you'd be over alive, there wouldn't be Malkus because there's no action involved. And a mitzvah tough I involve, and that is the reverse. It's a mitzvah linguistic sanachri, which means that if he owes us money, we're going to be owes us. 
We're not going to have pity on him, so to speak, and forego the debt. And the person says, Sanachri Tigos, the person is meant to claim from the non Jew who owes him money. The Sephardi says, and the Mitzvah says, The reason for the Mitzvah, and that is, says the Chinach, if a person treats himself, teaches himself to have compassion on people who are ashamed, the next step is he's going to learn from those people. He's going to follow what they do, and therefore the Torah doesn't want us to even have compassion on them, because the Torah doesn't want us to interact with them or to learn in any way from them. According to the Rambam, the Ramban doesn't agree. The Ramban is saying it's an introduction to the next part of the pasuk, which means you can esachicha your brother for your fellow Jew. You can't overcharge or claim back debts from. Whereas by ego you can. And that's the ikafagus of the pasuk. If that's the case, there wouldn't be a extra mitzvah according to him. As Mitzvah applies in every place in town, both a man and a woman, and a person's over in this, and allows a non-Jew to not, not to pay or to extend the time he has to pay just because he feels sorry for him, not because he's worried he won't get his money back or for any other reason he thinks he'll gain by giving the non-Jew more time to pay. According to the Rambam, he's over in this Mitzvah Stereisa. And according to the Ramban, if a person charges a Jew to pay back a debt, so, according to him, there would be an Isser, no doubt, uh, Isser of implied from this mitzvah as well. Mitzvah Tov Ayin Zayin, and that is for a person to forego recovering debts which, which are owed to him at the end of Shviz. The Pasuk says, Those debts you have against your friend, you should restrain yourself from claiming them. And this is the second mitzvah besides for Shmita as it applies to property, is Shmita as it applies to debts. The reason for the mitzvah, the Chinuch explains, the person has to train himself. He says when he calls good midas, and the middah of generosity, and the middah of giving, we want to be covering ourselves, and besides that, the middah of bitachon, that a person can trust the Kodesh Baruch to provide for him, and that's the way that a person deserves to get the good from Hashem. Both his goodness regards other people and the level of bitachon he develops regarding that he relies on Hashem to give him. And by inference, people also learn from this not to take what doesn't rightly belong to them because a person will think, if even money which belongs to me, I have to return or I can't recover. So then the money which appeared in doesn't really belong to me. The halacha is that the Debts are annulled at the end of Shviz, according to most postcom, that's the way the Chinuch holds as well, which means when the sun sets in Erev Shoshana after Shviz, then it renders all the debts uh, no longer, that they no longer can be claimed and based in. Even if there's a Malva Nashtar, which means there'll be a document proving the, the, the debt, still the Lach is, it can't be claimed anymore. But if a person sets aside a certain item, such as a field, from which the person, the, the lender, can claim back his money, then Shemiz doesn't work because then it's no longer a debt, it's on a specific item. If the person has a, a running balance in a store, or is a worker and his employer owes him money, 
that's not something which is a debt which has ended and is now a Jew, and that's the case that the Shemitah doesn't affect that either. However, if they came to the end of a period and now becomes a debt which is owed to the worker, so that's the case, Shemitah will terminate that Chiyuv. Sending a person divorced his wife before Shemitah, so then the Lacha is she can still claim a Ksuvah afterwards. However, if she made it into a debt which she owes her, then it's like any Milva, which means that the Shemitah will cancel it. If a person is a Mashkan, he's collateral for the debt, then Shemitah doesn't take the debt away. As long as the Mashkan is worth the same amount as the money he owes. This then, that a Mashkan, and this collateral, the Chayyavs and the Mashamit, is even if the Mashkan isn't worth all the value of the Chav. Now, when it comes to Karaka, in a place where a person is a Mashkan and Karaka, but the, the debtor can pay cash to remove the Mashkan and the Karaka, says the Chinuch in that case, Shviz will be Mashamit. Because then it's like a regular debt. But in a place where you can't pay money to redeem the karaka, and therefore the karaka is going to be given to the debtor, then Shviz doesn't mishamit it. However, the Chinuch expresses the opinion that holds it today. We say that in time of Mashkan is a year, and therefore the Alach is a slight case of Lema Salki, and if that's the case, the Shviz is not mishamit the Chayv. And Bukhar, uh, if you be the first one son, will get a double inheritance because the mashkan at slack belongs to the to the owner. There's another way out of being Mosham the Chayv, and that's what's called Moshe the of the Bastin, and it gives them the right to get, to to take or collect on his behalf. And therefore, you him who are owed money. Don't lose that right again after Shvis, because the Gemara says that Gamriel's Bastin was like the apotropos of the Yisami. And not just from Gamriel's Bastin, that was the Bastin at the time, but any other first the Bastin also acts, so to speak, as the agent of the Yisami. Same thing if it's a long-term loan and the time for collection hasn't come yet, the person lives only for 10 years, and after 7 when Shemitah comes, the loan's not yet due anyway, and therefore the Shemitah can't act to be Meshamit the loan. A person can make it snare condition that even though the halacha is that Shviz should be Shamit Khaif, but he can make a condition that he's still going to get paid back. However, if a person will give the loan and understand that the Torah is not going to be Shamit alone, then it's a snare against what the Torah says and therefore it will be considered invalid. This Mitzvah with the rights of Israel, or anywhere when the time of the Yavel, when the, the Shemit was the Raisa, both to men and to ladies. But in a time where there's no longer Yevil, and therefore the midst of Shemitah is only made Rabbanan, and therefore the midst of Shemitah of man is also only made Rabbanan, we learn them from each other. But nevertheless, it still applies today. The midst of Shemitah is many made Rabbanan, and not just there, it's in everywhere. And Chazal say that a person shouldn't forget the midst of Shemitah is in so therefore they instituted to keep the midst of Shemitah, which aren't land based in Chutzlarets too. And therefore, if a person is over in this, and he claims money from his friends for a debt which Shemitah has already passed after the debt was due, even in the time of the base of Midrash, it should be and a loy because you're going to see as a loy for this as well. And if it's a say, it's over Isid Rabban. 
even if that's only a dindrabanan, we have a general rule that Rabbanan when they need to are allowed to institute takanas which will change the ownership of money from one person to the other.